What's going on, Sky Town? Welcome to another edition of the Skyhook Podcast. My name is James K. With me on the mic, as always, is your co-host Chris Pennant. Chris, how you doing today? You had to, you had work this morning after a, a real late night game, which I I thought brought a, a lot of entertainment. I don't know about you, but uh, how you holding up today? <laughs> James, the master of understatement. I feel great. <laughs> I feel fantastic today, and I hope you feel the same. I'm hanging in there, man. I did a podcast this morning with Howard talking about this game, and it made me want to rewatch some parts of it again before we jumped on here. So I'm excited to talk about what happened last night. And, I mean, let's just, let's just dive into it, Chris. I mean, this guy pulled off the biggest comeback in WNBA history after the Aces were up by 28 points in the second quarter, and – the sky kind of just chiseled away at that lead in the second and third quarter where they outscored the aces. What was it? 63 to 33. And anytime the aces would strike Chicago was just right there and had an answer for them. So it kind of showed why they're the reigning champs. It was kind of a statement when in my mind, the, the, the team kind of downplayed it in the post-game presser afterwards, but Chris, I mean, was there any part of you that thought this guy were going to be able to come back in this one? No, not early on. Uh, outside of the first quarter, Vegas was still hitting shots into the second. So uh, they came out after that Ayesha Shepard buzzer beater three. <laughs> Teresa Plaisance hit another three at the start of the second. Uh, the sky were still not in sync offensively. And Vegas's energy was still up. And they stretched their lead out to 28, I think, with about just under seven minutes left in the quarter. And then the sky were, were hitting a lot of shots. Kalia Copper was still on fire for three. Uh, they were able to hit some jump shots as Ray Stevens gave them a gigantic lift off the bench. And when they, when they cut it to 11 at the half, I thought there was definitely a chance because Vegas, I, I said early on, it's like, it's not going to make much difference if Vegas keeps hitting their jump shots because they weren't. Then some of those jump shots weren't falling as consistently, and even when they were trying to get to the lane, uh, they were either met with resistance or their layups, some of their layups just rimmed out. Some of their shots were starting to rim out. So that's what really gave the Sky a chance. Um, we talked at halftime on our space, and I thought that the Sky's defense wasn't as up to snuff as it could be, even though they had cut that lead down to 11. But in the second half, they were able to rein Vegas in and take advantage of their diminishing energy. Absolutely. It, this is what happens when you really can only rely on five or six players on your team. And the Aces went into that game averaging the least amount of bench points per game at 9.5. They're the only team that had single digits heading into that game yesterday. And they still got, what, like 15 points off the bench with Teresa Plaisons kind of stepping up, hitting a couple corner threes there. But at the same time, it really showed how the aces can't rely on their bench necessarily right now. And that they're really using their starting five, which has logged the most minutes out of any five person lineup in the WNBA this year. And it's by like 80 points. So or by 80 minutes, excuse me, this is what's going to happen when you face a team that has as much depth as the sky have. And the sky only went eight deep last night and, but they could still like mix things up a little bit more and they didn't have to, just completely rely on like Candace Parker. I mean, they, they were able to spell Emma Mieseman and Candace Parker some minutes with how Azure Stevens really stepped up. I mean, 
the sky don't win this game without Azure Stevens kind of keeping their heads just barely above water after that first quarter where, you know, Z, I think she started off three for three from the, uh, from the field and then six for six at, at halftime. I mean, it was incredible. I didn't think this team was going to be able to come back when the bench came in though. Like I thought this is, they're going to have to wear the, the ACES starters down and make this a game where Kelsey Plum has to play like 37 minutes or something. And the aces were able to go to their bench a little bit earlier than they thought they would. And like you said, in the end, it still came down to the sky wearing down this, that starting five. And you could feel a little bit of fatigue, especially I thought from like their front court where they just kind of like ran out of gas at the end and the sky were ready for it. Yeah. Once it got to the, to the third, uh, to the third quarter is really when it was tangible that the momentum was shifting in terms of the game, because, you know, every basketball is a game of runs, a team as good as the sky, you expect them to have a run. You expect them to make the game close kind of similar to what they did in Chicago. Just that run was late and they ran out of time. What happened in the third quarter was that even though Aisha Shepard was able to come into the game so early because Vegas built that huge lead, there was still kind of a short rotation. Um, she came back. Uh, she came, Jackie Young came back in, so that Kelsey Plum could get a blow. And then they're just kind of rotating those three guards since Raquana Williams isn't available. And Jackie Young and Kelsey Plum keyed the Las Vegas attack, not just by hitting shots, because everybody was hitting shots for Vegas in the first quarter, in the first half. They were able to get past their initial defender nearly every single time. And it was just a driving kick parade. They were able to find Plaisance in the corner. They were able to find Asia Young and Asia Wilson in the corner. They were able to find um, Jackie Young after a couple of, after a ball screen at the arc. And then the third quarter, Rebecca Gardner, Allie Quigley, Kalia Copper, Courtney Vanderson were able to stay in front of their attackers. And so possessions ran longer. Vegas had to work harder to get shots. And then you're right in the front court, those layups that Vegas was finishing in the first, in the first half were really wild. And that was, I think, the clearest sign of fatigue for me outside of the fact that they couldn't, establish that drive and kick offense like they were in the first half. Asia Wilson had some layups that really go high and away off the window. They weren't finishing the offensive rebounding chances they had. And on the other end, the Sky were just able to run off of defensive rebounds, not off of long rebounds. They were able to get boards at the rim and just push, push, push the pace. And Vegas was really back on their heels. So when they took that lead, the wild thing about this game is when Chicago took that 67-66 lead about three minutes left in the third quarter, they never gave that lead up. The game was never tied again, and they never were behind after that. They led for the last 13, 14 minutes of this game. If you go on and check out the lead tracker of this game, it's just so funny how it's like this this valley with the, the aces, and then it's this enormous hill with the sky, just like the difference of how that game played out. I mean, yeah. You have to give, and I know she only played 16 minutes, but Rebecca Gardner gave them a lot of energy yesterday. And, you know, she did foul, she had four fouls yesterday and they probably would have wanted to play her just a little bit more, obviously, but what Allie Quigley was able to provide them, I mean, this is something that wasn't really mentioned too much at the press conference, but what Allie Quigley was able to provide them, whether it was like her gravity from just a, a having Vegas just suffocate her on the perimeter and then the, finding the open shot. Um, I shared a clip on my 
Twitter with, with that as one example, but also the way that she was able to facilitate last night, having seven assists like that. And I don't think she had any turnovers. Um, I have a different type of box score up right now that doesn't include that, but that was truly amazing that they were able to just keep calm and like really rely on that, that starting five along with Azrae Stevens, who I said on Howard's podcast, I think she's like the sixth starter on this team right now. Chris, they did all of this without getting to the free throw line until eight minutes and three seconds into the fourth quarter. This is a team that has prided itself on getting to the line as just, again, getting a lot of their points in the paint. And last night they shot 48% from three point range, which, which we touched on last week that James Wade said like, look, the three, the three ball just isn't a part of our identity as much anymore. (laughs) And we saw that this team is just, capable of being able to hit from that range and Kalia Copper is continuing to improve in that area over the last couple of games, which we might be able to get to later. And this team just was just like, it found its flow last night, even Razray hitting three threes, Courtney hitting three threes, Allie hitting two, which we've, I mean, we're going to expect that from someone of her caliber. This guy were able to get able to win in a way that they haven't been able to win as much with, this season, maybe outside of the last two games. So it was quite incredible that they were still able to put up 104 points despite that. Well, Vegas was really uh, disrupting passes and they were keeping the sky out of the paint. They were harassing Emma and Candace when they did get paint touches and they weren't allowing um, entry passes down to the low post. So essentially they were playing a zone and forcing the sky to shoot threes in the second half, in the second quarter. And they did, they took what the defense gave them. Yeah. And those shots started to go down. They were taking the same shots or similar shots. And I'm sure James Wade would say the same thing in the first quarter. And they just weren't hitting. Then once the shots started to fall, uh, Vegas, they were kind of on a, they were a bit of, in a bit of a shootout with Vegas for a second before they got the better of it. And Vegas's shots started to rim out. Um, what we saw from Kalia Copper is, is a subpar game from what she had been playing over the last week, but she still hit, I think, two threes in the second quarter that kept things, uh, that made things closer. She was good on defense. Candace Parker coming back in the lineup was essential, uh, especially in the second and third quarters, because she harassed Vegas out on the perimeter on switches. She was hedging hard and she had, uh, Rebecca Gardner outran a pass for a steal, and I think Candace disrupted Chelsea Gray well beyond the three-point line and took that <laughs> one in to either get the lead or stretch the lead at that point to three. And so it just showed how valuable Candace is. I know there's some things that sometimes she'll lack on defense. Just I think that's just a product of having played this long in the league. But when the time comes, she turns it on, and that's a championship mindset. Uh, I talked about it on the pod last week really similar to that breaks of the game quote. And I want to get it exactly because I've heard it in one way that was incorrect and the way that they have it in this book. I'm going to hold the book up just so everybody, you should read this book. David Halberstam was incredible. <laughs> uh, this is about the Portland Trailblazers in 78. They went to Atlanta to play a team that had been on a winning streak of its own and, had been, and the game was much ballyhooed and they had simply blown Atlanta out and won by 40 points. Afterwards, in the locker room, which had been unusually joyous that night, Lloyd Neal had held up his hand with the championship ring on it and shouted, I guess we showed them that they didn't give us these rings by no fucking mistake. And I, Carolyn Peck 
asked pretty much the same question, a question about that championship mindset, if that's what allowed them to come back in the game. And Courtney Vandersloot said pretty much, it's like, we've been here when we were 17. She said 17 and 17. It was 16 and 16 last year, and nobody thought we were going to get to that point. We knew what we were capable of. And James Wade in the post-game press conference talked about that. It's that collective championship mindset. So in a sense, essentially, the sky said last night to the WNBA world, I guess we didn't get these rings by no fucking mistake. I think it's fair to say that they're the best team in the league right now. And I get that this is just one game. The Aces beat them in the first matchup that they played the sky in. Um, I don't know, man. I, I think the Aces are probably the second team I watch the most just because I find them to be really fascinating and just seeing how, especially over the last couple of games, how things have slipped a little bit for them. Just watching these two teams the most amongst all the other teams in the WNBA, I just, I still just think the, the sky are a better team right now. And I guess if I were to, if this was a five game series and we saw this game and the, the, the aces were still playing the amount of minutes that they, they had been leading up to, like throughout the rest of the regular season, it's just like, this is the product of being exhausted. Jackie Young played 37 minutes yesterday and had missed a couple of games before. I mean, she played two games before this, but like at the same time, that's just a lot of miles. Same thing with Kelsey Plum playing 36 minutes. You have to do this for five games now. Okay. Like this is something that is going, that could potentially be a problem right now. And this guy don't have to rely on their top five players to get through games anymore. Like we, like you said, Kalia Copper went three for 11 from the field yesterday. She had nine points after averaging over 25 over the last two games. And this, again, the sky didn't get to the free throw line until the fourth quarter. Okay. Like, and they were still putting up all these points. I think that is so significant in terms of like how we look at this team's offensive capabilities. And like we talked about last week, when they're hitting three pointers, it raises their ceiling more than it raises their floor. And this was kind of the perfect example last night, just seeing like what, like just a good example of that. And it really felt like a playoff game that way, you know, like it's a really fun commissioner's cup preview. I kind of wish that this was the game we saw in the commissioner's cup rather than just a regular season game, but it really felt like a playoff preview almost. And it felt like a playoff game, playoff atmosphere. And you really couldn't have asked for a better matchup. I wouldn't be surprised if we saw these two teams in the finals later down the road, but Chris, is there anything else you want to touch on about this game? Because honestly, there's, there's just so much going through my head with all of it that I'm, I'm probably missed something. Is there anything else that you want to go through? Well, I don't know. I'm checking across the timeline right now because I neglected to earlier. The sky didn't have any offensive rebounds last night. And I wanted to see if that had ever happened in the history of the WNBA because, I mean, that in itself is amazing. The Sky did not get any offensive boards last night. That was a part of the reason that, that Vegas was able to go up by so much, because they were getting not just all of the rebounds, but all of the offensive rebounds as well. So I was so surprised that they won that, so that they not only did the Sky not get to the free throw line until an away-from-the-ball foul on an inbounds by Kelsey Plum in the fourth quarter, but they didn't, they didn't get any offensive rebounds at all last night. 
and won the game by nine. They won that game kind of going away. So that was, that's pretty much all I've got. Uh, I, I can't say any more than that. It's just incredible. Like there's some things that, you know what, I'll just leave it at that because I don't think that was just one of the best games I got to cover virtually at least. And that's one I'll remember for a long time. Just a great regular season bout between these two teams and what could potentially be like a growing rivalry between the two now that the Sky have won the championship. These teams don't like each other. (laughs) You think? Uh, like James, it's it's different now because James Wade and Becky Hammond have a friendship. That's for sure. <laughs> it's different. Um, before with Bill Lambeer, and um, it was different. It was different between those two squads. But those these teams do not bang with each other like that. As once it comes to the court, uh, that like you said, this was must see TV in the middle <laughs> of the season, and that's what the league needs. The league needs those matchups as much as they possibly can. Um, even if it's a late night matchup like it was last night, even if it's a West Coast game like it was last night, they need those because that keeps viewership up, that keeps that gets newer viewers interested. People know who Kelsey Plum is from her time at Washington, and now they know that she's balling like she did at Washington. They're learning about Chelsea Gray. They're learning about Jackie Young. They know who Asia Wilson is because the league has, almost surprisingly, promoted her well. And they, of course, they know who Candace Parker is, and they're learning about the other players on the sky, Courtney Vandler, Sudali Quigley, Kalia Copper. So you get a primetime matchup like that on a network that has done very well with women's sports, CBS Sports. There was um, the U.S. Women's Bowling Open was on right after that game. That's what you need, especially in the middle of the season, to keep people interested, draw more people in. Um, other, the other thing I forgot to mention, Chelsea Gray is going to go 0 for 6 from the field like she did last night. Uh, so this is definitely going to be, I think, a finals preview for sure. Connecticut is going to have their say. Um, mm-hmm. It's hard. It's hard really to say who else. Washington maybe uh, might have a crack at it, but I think those are the three teams for sure who are going to be there at the end fighting for the trophy. But Chelsea Gray is not going to go 0 for 6 again. And Vegas, Becky Hammond, they're too smart to let this ride for the entire season. They've, they've got to make some changes because I – I think last night is the first time that that has come to fruition. Uh, your contention about Vegas needing to play more on their bench. That was really the time that it, that it came up. So they're going to have to make a change. Agreed. It happened 16 games in, maybe even earlier than that, depending on like how you view those last couple of games without Jackie Young too. Like this was going to happen whether some fatigue was going to show up. So whether that was just like, what the schedule is or whatever it is, we can't make excuses. You got to show up. That's what we said about the sky last year. So I am curious about the mystics as well in terms of, can they even break through without Elena Deladon, but they're kind of proving it a little bit. Um, in terms of the wait, one more thing about the the rivalry. Did you see that play with Courtney Vandersloot and Kelsey Plum at the end of the game? Where they got I forgot, tied that up? was the other thing. I forgot to mention that. Yep. Kelsey Plum initiated that twice it was like the the initial contact and then she raised her left arm up i was like oh my god are they going to call uh i actually thought that they were going to call a technical on kelsey plum for like raising the elbow because we've seen that a couple times in the WNBA, like even this season and uh but then you know courtney pushed kelsey plum which was like the more obvious uh <laughs> you know she was going to get called for that um just so wild but I don't know if that's like that's a true rivalry until 
the other teams admit it too, but we'll see. I, I would love for that narrative to catch on. I'm not a big narrative guy anymore, but like, that's a really fun, that would be fun. Like to, to see these two clash a little bit, show a little bit of dis, like just throw a little bit of playful shade. Would love that down the road, but let's talk a little bit about these last two other, like the, the two games before this aces game too, because there's a lot to unpack there. I mean, the sky beat the dream 106, 100 in overtime. And they also lost to the fever in Indianapolis and with the fever mounted to come back. And so, yeah, they just split, split the difference in during the weekend. They went one and one. Chris, did you take anything away from that? I mean, th- there's a lot of people online that were saying that like on, you know, on the stupid bird app, just that the sky have a, like this proclivity for, building leads and losing them. And we kind of saw that in those two games against the dream and fever again, before I give my take on that, I am curious about what your thoughts were on those two games. I wasn't able to catch a lot um, of either game, unfortunately, but I I would have to chalk the fever game up to just being a bit of a trap game. Uh, Players will say that they're not looking forward to games like what happened last night, but it was a, it was a marquee game. You got to get up for it, and a team like Indiana that's still trying to, it's still finding their their way, plus a team like Indiana that has some quality young players on it is going to be tough to get around. They blew a lead that they shouldn't have. Same thing against Atlanta, uh, and they ended up coming back and winning that one in overtime. But I, those are two games on the schedule that you, you I think you chalk up to the season. There's something more to take from the Atlanta game because that's a lead that you shouldn't blow against a, a team that you know is good. Indiana, I'm okay, I, I'm not okay with it because you can't, you shouldn't be okay with losses. But I at least understand if there was some looking ahead to Tuesday night. All these games without Candace Parker in the lineup, I'm not just going to think that there's major takeaways from any of those type of games. And this was about maintenance. This was the luxury of being able to have a positive record, unlike last season when they went on that seven-game losing streak where they couldn't afford to have Candace Parker take rest days or anything like that. And the day before the Dream game, Candace was at practice. She didn't scrimmage with the team, but she was off to the sideline doing like agility training and like doing what she needed to do to like just maintain her body, which is nothing out of the ordinary that we like it's something that we haven't seen before. And James Wade said that this was a playoff game. Like this was game five of the playoffs. She would be able to play. So I, it's not like that injury was a concern. It's just that when you play your vets, a lot of minutes, like they had in that previous road trip, they're just going to need a little bit of rest. And when you have someone like Azure Stevens, who, again, I, I view her as the sixth starter on this team. She's just so important to what they do and being able to, really like rotate in and out of that four one out offense that they like to run like Emma coming in. But if the look is there, she rotates back out to the perimeter and as goes back in to the post and you need to be able to keep that flexibility. It's actually probably one of the reasons why the sky don't go with that ACE lineup that we had talked about earlier in the season as much, but um, yeah, I mean, again, Melissa Smith had a fine game. I thought the officiating on Emma Misaman with her, like I had a couple of clips that I was going to pull up, about just like some no contact from Emma Beesman on some of on some of the fouls that were called on her when Melissa Smith 
you know, shot the ball and got maybe a little bit of contact, but like she's the one initiating the contact. So that actually technically is not a foul on Emma Miesman. If you're able to put Candace Parker on Alyssa Smith at certain points, maybe there's a different outcome in the game and you slow her down from not having a 20 plus point, 10 rebound game. I just, it's hard for me to have major takeaways when you don't have one of your best defensive players. This guy heading into last night had a 92.6 defensive rating with Candace Parker on the floor and had it over 103 defensive rating with her off of the floor. I just like, what are we talking about? Like, I can't, they're not going to be on first take right now being like, <laughs> what's happening with the sky? They're going to lose to the aces tomorrow. Or like when you don't have one of the best defensive players in the league on the floor, it's just going to, your games are just going to be a little bit tighter. So I know a lot of people were freaking out, but at the same time, I'm not making excuses for this guy. They should have beat the fever. They should have. That's the team that is beatable. They have, they play four rookies a lot and yeah. they should have beat, they should have beat the fever at the same time. I'm not going to pretend that the sky is falling. No pun intended actually. Um, but I, I'm not going to pretend like this is the end of the world when you're without your spiritual leader and also someone that's just an anchor in the front court. Yeah, most definitely. I think if there's anything that they can do, they should take away from those two fever games, uh, both the one that they had at home, at home that they won and this last one that they've lost, that they, they need to figure out a way to get better against teams that crash the boards as well as they do. Emily Engsler is going to be so fun to watch in Indiana for the way that she hits the offensive and defensive glass. Destiny Henderson is going to make, is going to make a lot of guards' uh, lives difficult. And I, there's a lot of promise. There's just a lot of promise in Indiana. Uh, Tiffany and Kelsey Mitchell, as long as they stay, are going to be bona fide scorers. So Indiana isn't just uh, a team you walk over anymore. And they're already proving that. And they're already kind of setting the foundations up. That being said, you're right. They still should be the Fever. But this game, that last game against the Fever and the Aces game last night, uh, this guy have to figure out a way to really hit the offensive boards harder and lengthen yes. possessions. You're 100% right. That's actually probably the biggest flaw the Sky have this year is not crashing the boards hard enough. And this is not even something that's just coming from us. The team has said so. Like They have to limit second chance points, not letting teams rebound over them. And I think that's just going to come with time with this team still. I mean, this is a different team than last year. It just is. And the Emma Miesemann element, and honestly, Julie Alamon, I mean, she – she had six assists last night. She's still figuring out her way in the offense. And it kind of seems yeah. like she is the backup point guard now when Slute comes off the floor, which makes a lot of sense, honestly. I think Dana can be a much better like off-ball threat anyway. And we've seen in the past couple of games, Dana and Julie playing together. So, yeah, it's just going to be interesting how this team continues to gel down the stretch. Um, they have their core together. Now it's just like, again, what they played – 16 games this season as well. That's still not a lot of time when you put it Emma into the lineup, when you put Rebecca into the lineup, Julie Lee as well, who again, I mean, she didn't play yesterday, but you're, I think the sky do want to be able to u- utilize her and they're probably going to have to it in the playoffs, just looking down the line with some of the bigger teams that have bigger front courts like Connecticut. So yeah, I'm, I'm just – those two games just really didn't bother me as much as it did with other people. And 
Losing leads, I know this is going to sound crazy. I looked this up before the show. This guy played in 64 clutch games since 2019. And if you don't know that stat, that's just games that are decided by five or less points in the last five minutes of a game. And this guy are 34 and 30 in those games. Like there's just some things that like even looking at the stats, there's just some, some things in sports where you just can't rationalize it or anything. It's just like, this is just kind of in this guy's DNA at this point where things are going to get close and it's just going to be one of those situations where you just have to bear with the team. Um, you know, obviously you want them to be able to just take care of business right away and it's all clean stuff, but I feel like every team just has one of those funky things where you just can't explain it or rationalize it. And it just kind of happens. Um, so whether I don't think it's like complacency or an urgency problem. It's just like, this is just what's stretched out over the last, it's like since 2019. So um, yeah, Chris, is there anything else that you want to touch on the pod? I mean, we didn't really work. We kind of had to rush this one a little bit at the top just because you're working. I got a couple things to do as well with articles. <laughs> so uh, yeah. Is there anything else you want to touch on? I mean, we're heading, we're heading towards the all-star break and the sky sit in a great position. They're 11 and five. They're miles away from where they were at this time last year. And they just beat, the one of the best teams in the league. Now it's about continuing to get better. This is a lot of coach speak here, but they've got to continue to improve because they're, as we said, their offense is looking in sync and they were able to hit a ton of jump shots and then get their offense going like they like to, getting down below the free throw line and getting into the paint. But you just got to continue to improve, figure out the rotations. I was a little surprised Dana didn't get any time last night. So you got to figure out how to balance things with Dana and Julie, get Julie's shot working when she has, when the time is arises for her to, to take shots and just beat the teams you have to beat. They're coming back to play Connecticut again soon. Um, and that next Vegas game, Outside of the Commissioner's Cup. Well, I mean, the Commissioner's Cup game is probably going to be the marquee matchup, but they've got one more in Las Vegas in August. And we'll see where both teams are then, but that's going to be another game to watch. One more thing before we wrap up. I know you got 12 more minutes left. So I'm going to milk that, the Kalia Copper milk segment. Milk the clock. <laughs> I have a Kalia Copper tweet for you. You ready for this cost segment? Let's go. Let's do it. She tweeted out two days ago. I always need something sweet after I eat. Chris, do you need something sweet after you eat? No, no. Um, I actually am not a huge fan of, I'm not a huge fan of of dessert. I really am not. Um, Is it because you put chips on your dessert? You're never going to let this go. You're, I don't know why you're so upset when you're the one who's wrong about it. Like that, you are the one in the wrong of not putting chips on your sandwich. My girlfriend agrees with you. She's wrong too. That's not a problem. No, I'm no, saying that she does what you do. Oh, she agrees with me. Oh, my bad. Yeah. My bad. Okay, I take it back. I was, I was, I got a little <laughs> there. I, I'm not a big dessert person. I, I haven't been for a while. I I don't eat a lot of ice cream. I would rather have cake than pie, but I just am not a sweet. I don't like sweet things as much as I like quote unquote savory things. So that's why I was not. Uh, I disagree with you here, Kyle. I don't have always have to have something sweet. There was a time where 
I would always get a Butterfinger and a Wild Cherry Pepsi at bowling practice. <laughs> that was, and I, and I had a, I loved zebra cakes in high school. You know zebra oh cakes? Oh my God, of course. So I would eat those a lot, but I think I just kind of grew out of it. And I was trying to get, um, was trying to get, as, trying to get the, the processed sugar out of my diet, maybe. That was probably it. I totally hear that. I love sweets. I hate to say it. That's just something that I like to have late at night. And I have, but I have cut out sugar for my diet over the last like month and a half. I'm ketoing to all the, <laughs> maybe we can get a keto sponsor. Um, but uh, I have that urge, but at the same time, the difference between ha- like eating sugar versus not having sugar in your system and you do it for like a long period of time, like you feel that difference so much when you wake up the next day that like, there's just so many different substitutes now that you can do without necessarily having to have like processed sugar. This isn't the most fun one, but I just love the idea that like, Kalia Copper, one of the greatest athletes in the world is like, you know, the most, one of the most in shape per, like, people in the world is just like, I need to have something sweet after I eat. And that's such a, um, <laughs> that's a luxury. And she has the nothing bun cakes. So that they need true, to, yeah. is that the sponsor though? For, is that a, like a, for sure. It, it was not, nothing but cakes. I don't know if they, I don't know if the sponsorship continued, but that's definitely who it was in the bubble. Ali Quigley's birthday was like either yesterday or the day before and Ka had like a special bun cake for her. So that was kind of nice. Um, but yeah, I, so Chris is a hard no on needing something sweet after he eats. I'm, I used to be that person until like a month ago. So I still consider myself to be that person, but, um, yeah, that's our, well, we're going to wrap that up with that. That was probably the most boring, like the less, like the least controversial, cause segment that we've had so far so that was nice and clean i had to get the expletive warning off this episode now um but chris (laughs) chris great talking with you man um and we want to thank you all for joining us on this edition of the skyhook podcast if you could help us out by rating and reviewing the show wherever you get your podcast that would just be such a huge help if you could just take a minute to do that and if you want to contact us please do so by emailing our mailbag which is the skyhook mailbag at gmail.com. One more time, that is the skyhook mailbag at gmail.com. And if you want to find us on social media, you can always do so by going to the episode description and finding all that lovely information there. Our Venmo is there as well. So if you want to make a financial contribution to us, it would be a huge help. But Chris, glad we got to do this. And uh, until next time, everyone. See you later.